Welcome to the Comfortable in Chaos Podcast. Podcast. Strangle your demons and let's go. Y'all need Jesus! and chaos podcast i am your host eric helberg and you know as we always say we're like einstein over here we have no special talents we're just passionately curious passionately curious about all things pertaining to men how in the hell did we get here and where is it that we want to go in a previous episode men i mentioned that i was going to talk to you about an Indian prince, and that will be coming shortly in this episode. But for now, let me back up a sec. If you've ever been on Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, I remember when I first started receiving emails from Quora, how, I don't know, and um, I was like, my God. Gosh, this is some hodgepodge of information from all over the world. So perhaps it can be useful. And then I cultivated, I guess, a a few friends on there, people that I follow and interact with. And one guy who I really appreciate because of his complete adherence, and rightly so, However, he's he's been out of there for a long time, and despite the fact that many of his contemporaries speak volumes about their experiences, now I'm not saying belying anything, this man, DG, meaning Delta Golf, DG operator on Quora, will be happy to discuss with you anything pertaining to the Navy SEAL community. In fact, he very rarely goes outside his boundaries of expertise because he figures he'll let someone else do the talking with regards to those issues. But let's begin by giving our condolences to, since he was a veteran SEAL, and a SEAL Team 6 member, meaning development group. Our condolences to that entire community, really our entire country, on behalf of our country, and certainly the families, friends, and loved ones of the two SEALs that perished at sea while doing a Vehicle boarding, meaning a Houthi boat search and seizure that did. The mission was complete despite this, but they found many armaments and armaments components that were going to be used in the current Hamas war against Israel. And we know, of course, Turkey supports Hamas and... Now the Houthis have set their sights on Israel as well and the Gulf of Aden as opposed to just focusing on the Saudis. And so these two seals, uh, one fell off the ladder while boarding this vessel 
and went into rough seas. The swells were 8 to 10 feet. Can you imagine? Their vehicle, small vehicle, is chopping up and down in these uh, very rough seas. Everything's wet, and he attempts to climb this minuscule ladder to board um, this other vessel as if that's not perilous enough as it's moving up and down in the seas and you have the enemy up top. And so when he lost his grip, fell into the seas, another seal immediately jumped in so that he could be with him. And the search went on, an all-encompassing search. And after 10 days, uh, the Navy has stopped the search and declared both seals dead. And it was actually my hope and prayer, and I articulated that in some of my posts to these guys, that it involved minimal pain, minimal mental duress. I can't tell you that I know what drowning is like. But I was really fearful that these two hardened guys would have made it to shore, tore to pieces, without all their faculties, meaning the ability to fight and be savaged by some of these animals over there. So our heartfelt prayers go out to those guys. And this is the crap that's happening every day, just like I said. Right, The Houthis have now turned their sights against Israel. Of course, they're backed by Iran. We have all kinds of stuff going on around the world. It's a total powder keg over there. And we're still lamenting the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But this is going on every day. And this is why we're lamenting the fact that, oh my God, for this time of year, everyone's having to contend with their property taxes, which are abhorrent. They're stealing us blind. We're mainly in that component of our property taxes paying for schools and school districts, which are wholly defunct, meaning they're building more and more of them at our own dime. The kids are getting dumber and dumber. And many of the people in charge of these things... <laughs> They're no better than kids themselves, but we're paying for it, and it takes a big preponderance of our property taxes that are ever-increasing. Most Americans cannot afford their property taxes. Is it by design so we end up owning nothing? It very well could be. Maybe that's an episode for a later date. But yeah, we're worried about that. We're worried about Juan Esparza crossing the border and ending up in Chicago, and of course, we're worried about Harry, and no, he's not Harry. That's just his name. He identifies as a girl. So are we going to allow the young lad to wear his red high heels to high school? So that's what our principals are fighting right now. Meanwhile, our nation's best are having to contend with the day-to-day -day battle of small-scale warfare. And in order to contend with that, we have to send our most elite guys with the smallest footprint. And um, it's a very tough deal. But DG Operator had a post, and it was an old post. 
And this is what got me into the episode today on Prince. And I'm not talking Prince the singer. Someone asked him, did Pakistan know if OBL or Osama or Usama, whatever the hell you want to call him, Bin Laden, was in Pakistan? And he said, of course they knew. And he's right. They did know. But you have to realize, too, we play this delicate dance with Pakistan because they do have a nuclear arsenal. And there's a bunch of Muslim nuts over there, and we don't want them to get their hands on that. I'm sure that's one caveat. Um, and we give them hundreds of billions of dollars every year. For what? I'm not quite sure. But going back to that period of time when the raid on Osama bin Laden occurred, we knew that it was launched because... It ended up cementing the re-election of Barack Hussein Obama. And this was even after the fiasco at Benghazi, right? So we could let that one go away. We killed the, the world's most wanted terrorist. We ended up knowing that he was right there in Islamabad, very close to their equivalent of West Point, their military academy. Now, could we do a joint operation with those fools over there? No. But at some point, they had to know we were coming because they could have mustered some type of military response. And I'm sure they let it go unabated because Obama said, Look, guys, my friends, uh, I need to get reelected. You know I'm a friend of Pakistan. And you do have that $150 billion earmarked for you, so can't we do each other a favor? And at the same time, I mean, who's Osama bin Laden these days? He's old. He's lost his vigor. You've got him holed up over there. We know that most of your population sympathizes with him. Great dude. But his time has passed, and plenty of the rank and file have now become leaders they can carry out the mission. Don't worry about it. Just let us go in and get these guys. And that's what the SEALs did. It was an unbelievable mission. They took care of business. But what I wanted to say is I think the best way to corral Pakistan, and they do a fine job of it, is just let the Indians do their things. Now, we know that in my listenership, other than Belgium, for any other country, there are more Indians listening to this show than anywhere else. And I think that's because of my Indian friends that I still have out in California, and I've always thought these were badass dudes. And that's why when you get up north in Kashmir after the separation under British rule from Pakistan and India, which used to all be one, still contigu contiguous, but one country up until 1947, and they split apart. And so they've been fighting over Kashmir, shared mountainous region, for a very long time. But I'll tell you this, 
the Indians have always kicked the Pakistanis' ass up there. They're brilliant fighters. Very brilliant. And so I guess one of the most readily identifiable differences once they split in 1947 is that, for simplicity, the Pakistanis are predominantly Islamic, Muslim, and at least in that region and as a whole, where most of those conflicts were erupting at that time, the Indians were more Sikh and Hindi or Hindu. Well, when they broke apart, there was massive bloodshed. And that's why tensions continue between them to this day and a profound lack of distrust. And you never hear about it in history, but you probably lost 2 million people. When you look at all the data, and most historians now agree on that figure, and I'll tell you this, there were plenty of Hindus and Sikhs slaughtered, killed. But when you look at the numbers... They decimated the Muslims more than the Muslims killed them. So, like people, like circumstance, a little bit different belief system. And the one on the right side, the east side, meaning India, prevailed. And I'll tell you this as well. These guys are such badasses. We know about the Imperial Army of Japan. And what you don't know about, although I've touched upon it in the Philippines and other, other points of history and other areas of the world, the Japanese, to say they were brutal is an understatement. They were animals. Now, don't say, oh, they're great, because, you know, we rebuilt their country after World War II under the Marshall Plan, and boy, we sure did. Sent them billions of dollars back then. What is it equivalent to in today's money? I have no idea. But why in the world would you take a country like Germany and Japan and then rebuild their country with infrastructure, rebuild their economies? But we've been at war in the Middle East, and like I just detailed to you, we still are. We've tore them all to hell. Why haven't we rebuilt those countries? Well, I guess just like in war and life, my enemy's enemy is my friend. And if you deal with men at that level in your personal life, we know it's a lack of character. We don't need to get into that. But certainly in the world of war and the world in which we live, my enemy's enemy is my friend. And so we could make money off rebuilding those economies. I mean, after all, we needed the precise instrumentation and certainly good luxury vehicles from the Germans. My goodness, yes. And we needed all those good radios and sound equipment and everything that Japan was proffering. And of course, they launched the compact car, right? Remember all those Datsuns? Man, those were great cars from the Japanese, so we needed someone to trade with. So in those instances, it doesn't matter how many Americans have been slaughtered, killed, mangled. My enemy's enemy is my friend, and in the case of our great country, 
that friend is always money. But I guess I went too far afield here as I digress. We're just meandering our thoughts, right? This show's like two dudes at a bar or at Waffle House having a cup of coffee and we're talking. I mean, Barack Obama got a Nobel Peace Prize. He's a Nobel laureate, got an extra million bucks. And I'm not sure what he got that for, maybe because he did more drone strikes and than his other two presidents combined. Other two terms of George Bush and President Trump said he got very good at killing people, but he received the Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo. Here's who he should have given since we're talking about Indians being badasses. I think Barack Obama should give that Nobel Peace Prize back and or say I want to award it to the Indian state, the country of India. And here's why. Why those barbarians of Japan were skirting through Asia, and basically they were taking countries and massacring people at will. But they made a fateful mistake. They tried to invade India during World War II, and you don't hear about it. We did an amazing job at combating those savages at that time. But I tell you what, the Indians put one hellified chink in their armor. Let's just say they actually punctured that armor and penetrated a vital organ. Because the Japanese army ended up going into the mountainous region and the town was actually called Imphal in India. Well, what ended up happening, which never happened to the Japanese... They usually inflicted this upon who they were opposing. They ended up in retreat. They had to fall back. And these were maniacal guys that would rather die than do so. But for some reason, when they had to fight the Indians, now granted in that mountainous region there, and that would be on the northeast side of India, they also had to contend with those badasses. Many of them are Nepalese these days but many of them came from northern India, the Gurkhas. So the Indian army and the Gurkhas slaughtered these guys hand over fist, that being the Japanese. So these guys had to retreat, much like they did to our own boys in Bataan. Many of them died of exposure. Many of them died of malnutrition and all the other things that go alongside of having to contend with your enemy as we put those dudes on their heels and they kicked them right on out of there. It was devastating to the Japanese army. And in fact, that was previous to 47. That's during World War II. But in 2013, remember, that was still under British rule at that time. I don't know how many Brits were doing any fighting over there. I'm sure some of their specialty services were, maybe some logistical support. But it was the Indians doing the fighting, right? Well, in 2013, what did the British say? That that Battle of Imphal was one of the greatest battles, if not the greatest, in British history. It's amazing you never hear about this. And I have dealt with 
in my nature of work of finding people and finding equipment, and in these instances, primarily in California, I've dealt with several Pakistanis, but I have dealt with a plethora of Indians, primarily from Punjab. These dudes are hardy, guys. And I'm just going to tell you, not in the aspect of warfare, but in street savviness and what emanates from these guys, I would say that the Indians I have dealt with are much more robust and competent dudes. That's why I say, now that he's dropped out of the presidential race, He's an incredible dude. Make Vivek Ramaswamy either Secretary of State if he's not your Vice President, President Trump. And he will help to mitigate many of our concerns on the world stage. Brilliant guy. Young guy. Has plenty of energy for many, many, many years and can carry the brand forward. Okay. So that leads us into the Indian Prince. Who was the Indian Prince? Well, he was a commercial pilot for Kingfisher Airways, an Indian-owned airline in India. But he's very smart, and he still is. I'm not going to give you his full name. Some of these details I'm going to obscure. Because we played one hellified game of cat and mouse, and this guy's still operational. He saw the tea leaves, and we know that Kingfisher Airlines ended up going defunct, lost its license in 2012. But previous to that, he had immigrated from India to California, and he was actually genius. Since he was a pilot and had the backing of Kingfisher Airlines, he set up shop, started a flight school, and made the promise whereby Indians who wanted to be pilots and or receive American citizenship could come to his flight school and receive both training and a path to becoming a U.S. citizen, and then fly our airplanes. Now, where he initially set up shop, I can't recall, but where I came into the picture, he had been operating out of the Turlock, California, in the Valley Airport, which used to be an old World War II training base. And the Air Force still had a contingent of airmen there up until probably the 80s, maybe even the 90s. But what ended up happening there was he brought all these guys to California. They paid approximately 45000 bucks a head. Now, I can't tell you this concretely. Or maybe I don't want to get into these weeds that that deep. But all those towns from Ceres, Manteca, Turlock, etc. All their respective counties, Merced, Madera. All the DAs started looking into it. And in fact, 
the FBI launched a probe into it because apparently all these students' monies ended up going into his direct accounts, meaning the prince. Long story short, they didn't receive their flight training, nor did they receive their appropriate documents, and a hundred Indian students ended up being stranded. Well, he reconstituted. He set up shop again at the old McClellan Airfield, which used to be a big Air Force base outside of Sacramento. And he continued much in the same vein. But by then, authorities, finances, enough angry Indians had caught up with him, and he had pretty much disbanded that. But by then, he had gotten into the trucking business. Prince had gotten into the trucking business. And I've told you that I was always sent to California because Indians gave lenders fits. By then, I had a pretty good network of guys I could rely on. But despite that, other than them telling me he is a bad dude, they could not quite help me put my finger on him. So I chased him throughout the Valley of California, um, throughout greater Sacramento, Citrus Heights, every small airport known to man, because he continued being a pilot and compiling information and one step behind him, but all the while, for a couple of different lenders, huge companies, GE and PACAR, I continued finding his equipment littered everywhere from Fresno all the way up to Yuba City, California on the 99. But then I got a big break. When you have that elite status and you call yourself a prince, and of course, He was already a commercial pilot, so Ray-Ban aviators were already in the repertoire. He started posting some things on social media. Now, I couldn't find him, but now I knew who some of his most recent associates were. And once I figured that out, and I would see him in the back of limos, holding champagne. Oh, man, these guys were having a good time. Well... That led me to where he had started plying a new trade. He started doing the exact same thing, however, not with prospective pilots, but with prospective Indian truck drivers at a truck driving school. I'm not going to tell you where. That led me to his partner and or associate at that time, who was none too thrilled to see me. He, I did find... And we had a great face-to-face, what would you call that, sojourn, party. And basically he said, look, that deal fell apart. I was somewhat left holding the bag. He let me know where some other equipment was. That was cool. I hadn't proffered all of the equipment yet. I still needed more information, but I had been working on this thing for months now maybe even over the course of a year, back and forth. I would do a little bit here and there as I was working other accounts in California. But you know what? You want to cut off the head of the snake, right? 
I wanted to find the prince. I wanted to be face to face with the prince. And maybe we could each have our own royal coronation. Well, to wind this story down, I found out that despite all of the police intervention, investigatorial intervention, um, FBI intervention, the guy ended up flying the county watch plane, for lack of a better term, the county patrol plane for Yuba Suter County. And I actually cornered him at the Yuba Suter Airport. Well, the times were different then. You have security at airport. That is a federal entity by that time, TSA, all that. I could not get in, but Prince was inside, and I was outside the gates. And when I let him know that, because I now had one of his new mobile numbers, I said, I'm right outside. Come on out, dude. But he never came out. I'm sure he looked at me from maybe the tower because it was a very small facility. And I stayed out there for a while. Yeah, I had some beef jerky, some Gatorade. I mean, I was loaded for bear, man. I was ready to hunker down. So I sat out there and sat out there, but for some reason, the prince never came out. Now, I could have... I guess gotten a little bit prickly and inform all those involved who in in fact they had in their employ. Here he is now working for a law enforcement entity. In fact, he's essentially deputized after all that melee that he has caused. But I knew there were a lot of civil implications if I would have done so. And I also knew that my clients wouldn't back me. But despite that, for some reason, he would never meet me face to face despite repeated offerings. But he did have a couple of phone calls with me. And it did allow me to recover some other equipment, which is great, I guess, for my bottom line. But much of it ended up in another person's hands, in another person's hands, in another person's hands. And could I have eventually gotten there? Yeah, but it wasn't going to be cost effective in doing so. And you're always working on a limited budget. So I guess in some form or fashion, we reached a resolution. And in some form or fashion, I had a chance to come in contact with a prince. So until next time on the Comfortable and Chaos Podcast, I bid you bon voyage, my burgeoning flock.